everybody, what's up and welcome to Lacrosse Now. On this Tuesday, that is Travis Eldridge. I am Tom Eschen. Thanks for joining us. Another fun weekend, as it always seems to be in lacrosse. We even had a fun Monday night game in yeah. which we saw the ACC probably lose a bit in the NCAA tournament. A uh, big win for Cornell in overtime in the Dome last night. Yeah. Um, that certainly set the table for today's show in which we're reacting to a lot of things. You're talking the crazy CAA. That we, That's a wild, wild conference. We'll get into that. Talking the Ivy League. Who's going to be in that four spot? And we'll break some things down from the weekend as well, Maryland and beyond, because Maryland has something to say about uh, maybe all-time team in the history of lacrosse. Maryland continues to be the story of the season in terms of who's the top team in the in the country. So we'll talk all about that. Uh, we also have some terrific guests. We We've do. We've got the head coach and the number one women's team in the country, Jenny Levy. Speaking of going to the Carrier Dome and winning, that's what North Carolina did on Saturday. Another impressive victory for the top-ranked Tar Heels. We also have... Loyola's Livy Rosenzweig yeah. uh, joining us, an All-American candidate. She continues to just shatter the record books for the Greyhounds, so she joins us, and have, we have some fun with her. Loyola's really good. Really they good. could be a Final Four team, so yeah. oh, 100%. Don't, don't sleep on the Greyhounds. Yeah, for sure. Number one, though, is I don't think anybody's sleeping on number one Maryland right no. now. Um, they blew out Rutgers over the weekend. It wasn't even close in a game that Travis thought and many other people thought that would be a lot closer with Rutgers. They were, yeah. they were very high on Rutgers. I was not as high, and this one sort of went the way I just... thought. But regardless of that, I guess let's start with our conversation. What is the level of separation here between Maryland and everybody else? Is it as wide of a gap as we think? Is it closer than we think? Your thoughts. So the thing that, and I tweeted this on Sunday night, the thing that continues to impress me the most about Maryland is I think we've seen teams in recent memory that have been maybe as talented as Maryland is. But it's the consistency of every single day and every week they show up. Like they have, no, had, have they had a bad week yet? No. Like you, it, it, it felt, it feels like one of these weeks they're due for one where they're just not quite as sharp and they get off to a slow start and they have to come from behind and and then they show their resilience. I, we've seen it with Virginia, we've seen it with Yale over the last couple of years. Teams that we knew were some of the best teams in the country. Duke does it all the time, but. There's a week where it's just not sharp right out the beginning. Maryland has been playing 60 minutes from the very beginning of the season every single week. And I think, especially with all the transfers that have come in, to have this culture and to have the guys that have been there and done that and been part of these teams that have gone to Final Fours, that's one thing. But then to bring in all these transfers in that are really talented and get them to be on the exact same page is just incredibly impressive. I mean... Their two-goal win against Notre Dame is the closest that anybody has been all year. The second closest win is them beating Syracuse 14-10 in the Carrier Dome. And we've seen what Syracuse has done as of late, and they have not been impressive. So, it, to me, the fact – I mean, in, in, since that 11-9 win, they've had five games. Nobody's been within eight goals of them. Yeah. Like, and, and, they're, and two of those games are against tournament teams in UVA and Rutgers, and they're beating other Big Ten teams in Penn State, Michigan, and they, they beat UAlbany, who, by the way, beat Syracuse. <laughs> so, I mean, to, to go through these stretches and to the, the constant domination, to me, is what stands out. Yeah, we'll see the final couple games, because those are always kind of funky in the Big Ten, the way things end, you know, in this conference at the end of the year. I know, yeah. and you look at the, the strength of the Big Ten and not nearly what – we thought it could be at the beginning of this season, but I believe they have Ohio State and Hopkins. I yep. think there's the last two games before getting into the actual tournament. Intrigued to see if they can keep it up for the end of the season because we've seen some teams at the end of the year, things get a little funky in the Big Ten. But anyway, you look for when a team has been this dominant, a weakness, and it's kind of hard to find one. And I only found strengths when I was going <laughs> through this roster and this team. You know, they've played two top 20 defenses this season, and I think that, you know, that they've scored a lot of goals because of that, too. But at the same time, those those were Michigan and Notre Dame. Rutgers was 20th, I guess, in name yeah. as well. The thing that's impressed me is their defense. They have shut down several top, not shut down, but kept these offenses from really going off. Top 10 offenses this year. Princeton scored 10 goals against them. Notre Dame, 14th best offense in the country, scored nine. UVA, 12 goals. Michigan, 12 goals. Rutgers, nine goals. All of those Top 10 offenses yeah. in the country. So, yeah, we talk about Logan Wisnowskis, probably the front runner for the Tawaraton right now. All those different pieces in Donville and everybody else that comes along with that. But you look at the defense, and that is what is getting the job done for Regan. That's what, to me, has separated them the most, I think, from the rest of the pack. Yeah, and just, like, 
you, the Virginia win, like, wasn't just an anomaly. Like, they go out and they just, yeah. one versus two, all the hype. It's a neutral site, huge crowd. And they go destroy Virginia. How many great teams would then be able to back it up by just destroying a Penn State team that has everything to play for? And then they do yeah, it again. Close. And they do it again against Michigan. And then they do it again against Rutgers on a Sunday night when all eyes are on them. And the Scarlet Knights have everything to play for. And so every week they're getting somebody's best shot. And they're just handling it. So I'm going to be I, – like, I, I keep thinking, like, this is the week yeah. somebody's going to challenge them. But I think I'm done. Like, I Even don't, Ohio State? I, Ohio State and Hopkins. And the Hopkins game you always have to put an asterisk by because no matter what the records are – we saw it last year with Hopkins. No matter what the records are and what they've done during the year, that me? game yeah. is different. Yeah. So, but when you, but this Maryland team, I think, is different because this isn't the Maryland team you're used to seeing. They are consistent in how they have just handled teams. And so, I think you start to have to look back, like in in recent history, who's been like when when was the last time we saw a team this dominant? And I went, I had to go back to 2006, Virginia who is also the last team to run the table and win the national championship undefeated. And I look, you look back at that 06 Cavaliers team. They had a one-goal win over Princeton in the regular season in March. That was the only time anybody was even close to them. They handled their opponents in the regular season. They then went through the NCAA tournament with nobody within four goals of them. It was a 14-10 win over Notre Dame in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And they beat everybody else by, I think, no more, uh, no less than seven or eight goals. And the way things are shaking out, we're about to, we're going to talk about who we think the biggest challenger is, but the way things are shaking out, this Maryland team, if they keep this up, has the ability to do what Virginia did, not only running the table and being undefeated, an undefeated national champion, but also doing so in impressive, dominating fashion. That's how good they've been. That's their ceiling. That is as, yes. as good as it can get for them. I just don't know yet. And until they actually do it, I well, don't right. know how yeah. much you can believe that that's going to be the, the case because you go and see who their top contenders are. And I'll start this. Georgetown, number one. I mean, yep. Georgetown, to me, is a team that is constructed with a really, really good defense, something that Maryland hasn't had to deal with too much of this year, a tough kind of a defense that's going to make them search for those fourth and fifth options with a great goalie. Hopefully, McElroy is healthy for whatever run that might be whenever those two teams meet down the road. Right. I imagine that's going to happen. So Georgetown, with the number one defense, in the nation, that's a team that can cause them problems as Notre Dame did in the same vein. Because you have to look at those scores of teams that were closest. And you can go to the Princeton, but I, I think that Notre Dame, Notre Dame is one of the few teams that got off to a good start against Maryland. Notre yeah. Dame led that game 2-1 to one after 1. So they kept that offense right. pretty quiet after 1. And Notre Dame is a team with deficiencies, especially that time of the, the year in which spot. they couldn't win a faceoff. Yeah. And they've started to figure out how to mitigate that. So a team with some of the deficiencies that they had, Notre Dame still only losing that game by two. And that was a close game. That wasn't one of those jump out to a 10-4 lead and Notre Dame came back. That was a close game, a one or two goal game throughout. So you have to look and see what teams can compete with them. I still, I've talked about Notre Dame now, it feels like, for a couple weeks. And I know Notre Dame's right now on the bubble of getting into the tournament. But I think once things shake out, they will be a team that Maryland might have to contend with here down the road again for a second time, don't forget, in the NCAA tournament. And no, having some prior knowledge of playing them and competing against them, holding Maryland to 11 goals and 11-9 game, I think teams with those good defenses, and that sounds like a cop-out, but Notre Dame and Georgetown are two teams that can certainly get the job done, I feel like, at the end of the season. Yeah, and I do... The Notre Dame point, actually, the, the style in which both yeah, Notre style, Dame. And, stylistically, I think the, it's a great point. The yeah. way that they play, if they are on their game, I feel like can work. I, I think the Notre Dame question is can they get there right. to play Maryland <laughs> again? Because, I they, know. because they, they need to win enough games they here down to win the out. stretch. I mean, the way things go, they have to win out. Yeah. Virginia at this point is probably getting in yeah. for the ACC, and then it's up to the second team. I don't know who that's going to be at this point. Either I mean, Notre probably Dame, Duke, that Carolina, Notre, or Notre Dame. That win for Notre Dame over Duke was huge when yeah. it came to shaking Gigantic. all that out. I think they, they have to do that again to be able to see themselves in the tournament to be that second team because, like we said at the top of the show, last night Syracuse losing, they – they could have maybe gotten a third team in, and that could have been a Notre Dame and Duke in addition to Virginia. But now we're really looking at two teams for the ACC. So Notre yeah. Dame has to be that team. They have to get in and be able to do it. But I think if they do, they can. Yeah, I, I, and, and the style thing I, you hit on. I think the other team, my biggest contender is Yale. Because despite the head-scratching loss to, to Penn State early in the year and 
They had a one-goal game against UMass. I think this week. And lost I, to Cornell. And, and they lost they to lost Cornell. Lost to Cornell. Yeah. That game where they came back. Right, uh, yeah. Yep. But I think that was start of the start of the turnaround of this team starting to come into their own. Like, you look yeah, at... that game. That game they lost to Cornell. Which yeah, they that were was down it. Huge. Yeah, that because, was the turnaround, yeah. Because you look, they haven't lost since. Um, and this week in particular, and while... Like, BU's been good, and I think that win was really impressive. They shot the lights out against BU. I don't think they are, pro- are that much better than BU is, but they showed it on uh, in, in a midweek game last week, and then they took care of Dartmouth, as you would expect them to do. But it's some of the young guys that are now showing up for Yale that gives me hope that them stepping up now at this point of the season makes them a really, really dangerous team once we get here into – end of April and into May for tournament time. You look at Leo Johnson, who's a first-year guy. He's got at least two goals in every game. So he's been a more consistent contributor. But the big guy who's come on is Chris Lyons. Five games this year, three goals in the first three games he played, six goals against BU, and his worst game is against Dartmouth when they didn't really need him. His emergence as a midfielder for Yale, I think – has been an, the additional like firepower they've needed. Because you know what you're going to get from Matt Brandau? He's been spectacular again. Honestly, he may be a guy that has to be in the Touraton conversation by the end of the year if he keeps putting this up. And Brian Tevlin's good in the midfield, and they've got some good pieces. But it's some of the freshman offensive players stepping up now that I think them starting to come into their own, figure out the college game, is what could allow Yale to go on the type of run we've seen in recent memory, whether it was... Uh, Duke, Duke team coming on strong down the stretch. North Carolina coming on strong down the stretch. I feel like they could have that kind of run where maybe they were shaky early on, but they figured it out in the middle part of the season, and they're playing their best lacrosse moving forward. You know, and, and I had wondered about Yale up until the BU game. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I haven't been convinced just yet, but then you mentioned some of these new faces in Johnson and Lions and some of these other guys, too, defensively even. And like, yeah, yeah, Yale's young, but they're really well coached. And yep. they, they have some guys that – have sort of had a taste of it, not necessarily of, of going out there and winning a championship, but they have that culture that I think is really strong, a winning one of that. They've got people that they are there uh, that have won it recently, you know, recently yeah. enough that they are the last ones before Virginia to do it. So I think that, and getting the championship game at that as well. Right. So you look at a team like, yeah, like, yeah, they might feel young, and this is just me talking to myself, but they're really well coached and they know how to win this time of year. And I think if you get into a track meet with Yale, you probably are going to lose. I think that that's the problem. That's well, going to be the, something they pose for a team like Maryland in the tournament. And I think athletically, defensively, they can match up with what Maryland has yeah. on offense. Like Chris Fake, we've been talking about him since his freshman year when they won the national championship. He's terrific. Michael Alexander's a really good close defenseman back there. And then Jared Paquette's a good goalie. In the back, who is now getting more and more experience um, as he's, I think this, I believe this is his first full season as a starter because yeah. he, I, had, I think his first year was 2020. Um, yeah, Jack Starr was here for, yeah. 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 And so I also think that um, it, under Andy Shea, what they had gone through in 2017 and figuring out how to win a national championship and getting back there to the championship game uh, in 2018, I think. They, or excuse me, in 2019, they won in 2018, got to the championship in 2019. I think he figured out what the recipe for success is in terms of, okay, we can be shaky and start to figure things out at the beginning of the year, especially in the Ivy League when you can't officially start practice until February 1st. But we can figure out when we're going to peak. And I think Yale is starting to get down to that down to a science. The, the likes that we've seen Duke do in the past or a Maryland team that goes to the Final Four every week, every year. I, I do think he's kind of figured out that formula yeah I I think you're right I think Yale could do it I don't know if I think they have to get into a track meet to be able to do so which because they've been putting up a lot that would be an exciting really well that would be very exciting for them to be able to do so it's gonna be tough for them like whereas if it's a Notre Dame and a Maryland type feel you're gonna be slugging it out because that's the way Notre Dame and Maryland play it's gonna be like (laughs) the difference of settled six on six (laughs) with like I don't know 40 possessions compared to like 80 possessions. Penn and Georgetown played one of the ugliest games I've seen this year. And then Penn goes out and plays one of the most fun games (laughs) against Princeton this year. So those are the Georgetown, Notre Dame. They're going to make it a little bit uglier and they're going to do it their way. And they're successful in that. They are. Yeah, there is separation, but I do pause just yet at anointing Maryland it. You know, I don't think it's done. I think there's some teams that can indeed 
to, with the, the way they play and their style that I don't think Maryland's had to contend with just yet. And when they did against that and against Notre Dame, they did struggle a little bit more. They weren't as dominant. I'll say this, because we have two dominant teams right now in men's and women's cross. you got North Carolina on the women's side. you got Maryland on the men's side. I think the separation between Maryland and the rest of the field is larger on the men's side than Carolina and the rest of the field on the women's side. I'm just trying to figure that out in my head. Yeah, no. Like, I think there are teams that are at the top of the pack that have a better chance of beating North Carolina right now as we're talking than... Well, I mean, you look at Boston College. Right, yeah. that's what I mean. Like, I, mean, I think they've got more threats right now when you look at the landscape. I would thing. actually say that the difference between BC and North Carolina and the rest of the women's game is the same as Maryland and the okay. rest of the men's Okay, that's fair. Game. How about that? I can see that. I think that that is I there. Despite, that. I, you know, we'll talk about Syracuse, Syracuse played them tough. Syracuse did play them tough. They impressed me. But I think that that is the best shot Syracuse can give them at okay. this point in the year. But we'll talk about that in a second. Anyway. Let's get I, into some of these conferences. Yeah, we got two that we want to talk about here today. Speaking of Yale, let's yeah. start with the Ivy League. Yeah. I, I actually um, I was messaging with Paul Carcaterra, and I told him, the Ivy League tournament, man, this is going to be wild. Whoever the four teams that get in are, <laughs> yeah. this is going to be incredible lacrosse. Uh, yeah, it's going to be Friday, Sunday, semifinals, yeah. Friday night, uh, the championship Sunday. It's going to be incredible across because anybody can beat each other. Yeah. And, and anybody, it feels like of these top five, six teams can go and win a couple games in the NCAA tournament as well. Like they can make those runs. So you look at here what the conference looks like and over the course of this season. The question is now, who is going to be the fourth team? Because you've got a logjam there of teams, Princeton, Harvard, Brown, and Penn, who all have a real shot at fitting in one of those spots. It's really three teams for one spot at the end, yeah. uh, at the end of the road. And you've got some big games that are coming up here with teams that haven't played the top teams in the conference. Harvard plays Penn this weekend, and then Harvard plays Princeton the weekend after that. That's their season right there. Because if Harvard is on the outside looking in, number five, you don't know what's going to happen on Selection Sunday, no matter what things look like. So, yeah, I know we joked that the ACC lost the bid last night, maybe to the Ivy League, but you don't know that just yet. So getting in that top four, this is when it happens. Playoffs start this weekend in the Ivy League. Well, I think the big I- – I mean, I, I think at this point, like if you're in the top four, if you make the Ivy League tournament, you almost have to be in the NCAAs, right? Yes, yeah. So then the question becomes, if you're the fifth team, are you in? Like that, right. because that's going to, so that makes getting into the top four, I think even say that much more. And, and you look at, the only thing that can really shake this up is if Princeton somehow loses to Dartmouth which, this week, which, Could who happen. knows? I mean, Cornell almost won goal game against Dartmouth a couple of weeks ago. So you never know. But, if Princeton takes care of business as you would think that they would against Dartmouth, then it comes down to Harvard, Brown, and Penn battling for that final yeah, spot. Those three losses for Penn hurt. I, I mean, mean, the three losses in conference. If, if Penn loses to Harvard this week, it's over. Right. They're not they're getting one in. They're 1-4. They can't get to the amount of wins needed to be able to get themselves in. And so despite having yeah. what is – it's going to have to start, start be like a top five, top six RPI by the end of the year, they're not going to be playing in the conference tournament. And they could be at liberty and close to maybe finishing the season under 500. Which immediately <laughs> knocks you out. That, like, if you get upset, but if you lose against Harvard and then you lose at Dartmouth, which is Dark, Dartmouth's the wild card here, you're under 500, you know, at least in the Ivy League there for Penn down the final stretch of the season. So that also could eliminate you, depending yeah. on where you fit in terms of the, the, your record at the end of the season. So the, the Penn-Harvard game this week is maybe the biggest game of the entire weekend and anywhere in college lacrosse because of what it means for both those teams. And I think for Harvard, too, they've been a terrific story this year. We're not going to figure out just how good. is this Was, was this uh, just a great story? They, they won some nice games in the non-conference, but they're maybe still a year away or so under Jerry Bird? Or is this team ready to roll and is now their time that they're going to start crashing the party? Yeah, tough week. You, you know, then you lose the 17-9 to Cornell. That, I mean, that... That doesn't look great either. And now you get the test against Penn, who, as we say, is a desperate team. You know, I know Harvard's desperate, but Penn's like, hey, guys, like we've been talked about as one of the best teams in the right. nation all year. Now we could be on the outside looking at our own conference tournament. Like, right. that's this crazy. is it. You also Their have... season is this week. Now, and after now, Brown beats Penn 12 to 10. Yeah. And, and that just that threw Brown in the conversation because, yes, they were kind of this spunky team. We were like, right. you never really know. They were kind of almost in the Dartmouth vein. But then they go out and get a real win here, you know, and, and they improve to one and two in conference play. Now they've got Yale. 
So if Brown can this weekend figure themselves out and, and keep this rolling, who knows? Like, they could be 2-2, two and two, get that second conference win over a Yale who's going to maybe beat everybody else, and Brown has found their way in. So after this weekend's results, you're, you're like, I don't know who is going to be in that four spot. If, if you had to pick right now, who do you think – Rounds who's, out who's the, the fourth team? Who, who rounds out? Is it Harvard, Brown, those, or Penn? Those three losses for Penn scare me a lot. I know. I mean, they can finish at best 500, right, if they go out and, and win yeah, their last win the two. Yeah, win the last two. So you've got Harvard at two and one. Harvard with – Penn, Princeton, and you. <laughs> Harvard has Penn. Yeah. Um, that's a tough finish for the Crimson, man. And As hard as it is I, to got, say – It might be Penn. I think it, it – I think it's Penn, but they have to win this week. This is it. This is their this season. is it for Penn. Yeah, I mean, you could if Brown wins this week, then that's a different story because Brown would be two and two in the conference, uh, still with Cornell to play. They go to Cornell at, at the end of things too Not, here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that will be uh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Good I, luck. I think it is. Yeah, I, I think it is Penn who can get those extra couple wins and, and figure themselves out because they do have the talent to do so. And we've seen that. They have Sam Hanley and the rest of the gang there. I, th- I think that they, they should be able to do it. The question is, can they? They play a lot of close games, Penn. Now they got to start winning them or else they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, it all comes down to this. Close wins uh, do great when you talk about them in top 25 polls. <laughs> yeah. Not so good when it comes down to trying to make the conference tournament. <laughs> and then the NCAA tournament either. And that too. <laughs> all um, right. But yeah, so... Ivy League's going to be a lot of fun in a different aspect <laughs> because we're only getting one team from the CAA in the tournament. That's uh, now uh, sold. But this, ter- this league, man, is wild. To give you everything you need to know, Delaware, favorite to win the league entering the season? Top 20 team. They're 0-2 in conference play. <laughs> They're last. Currently sitting in last place. <laughs> In the conference yeah. with three games to go. Yeah, this weekend was wild. Towson beating UMass 12 to 9. Towson's unbeaten at the top of the conference. Hofstra beat Delaware 12 to 11. And Drexel and Fairfield in a wild one. Drexel winning 19 to 18 there. So this is the CAA. Towson 2 and 0. UMass, Fairfield, Drexel, Hofstra all 1 and 1. Delaware at 0-2. The one team that if you told me at the beginning of the year, this team's going to be 0-2 at the beginning of conference play, the one team I would tell you was not going to be 0-2 would be Delaware. Yeah. And they're sitting there at 0-2. And, and you look at the overall records, and these teams play difficult teams outside of they conference. Do. But you look, and there are, what, three of the six teams that are 500, and all those are one game above 500, and then three of the other six teams are at or below 500, either a one game or two games below 500. So the records are fascinating. The conferences as well. I don't know who you pick to win right now. If uh, you're sitting here in April, you don't. Who wins the conference? I have no idea. I the, so I will it could say be anybody. I, I will say this: when you look at what they all did in the non-conference, I guess we should have seen this coming because the non-conference results are as head scratching as some of the conference results you've seen. This year. <laughs> it's true. I mean, like UMass. We talk about Brown. They just came up with a big win this week. UMass went to Brown and beat Brown just <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Then beat Delaware, and all of a sudden, after the first week, everybody, us, inside lacrosse, talking about how UMass team to beat in the right. CAA. Yeah, we're like, okay, well, coach, they're, they're kind of there all the time. They have the talent to do it again. Matt Noden goal. And like, then they lose. And then they lose. Like, that second half against Delaware was one of the most impressive halves of lacrosse I think yeah. I've ever seen. And then they go out and they, they lose this weekend. And so now... This week is just, like, good luck. I, screw trying to pick a champion at the end of the year. Good luck trying to pick any of these games this week. Towson at Delaware, 2-0 versus 0-2. <laughs> Delaware would probably be favored yeah, at know. home, right? Yeah, yeah, they should be. Like, I, I, I'd maybe give them, like, a one-and-a-half goal favorite there. You got Drexel at Hofstra. I don't know what to make of it. That's the game that you get a chance to yeah, do this I'll week. Yeah, I'll be on the call what... for that one, and I have no idea what's going to happen. So that's probably a good thing. Should be fun. And then, <laughs> and then Fairfield's at UMass, and... You know, the beginning of the year, if there's any team here in recent memory that struggled a lot, it's Fairfield. But Fairfield has played some tough teams out of conference. They have. They've played, and they continue to get better. They've battled everybody. Like, they have – I don't think they've really gotten blown out, have they, this year? They all think they've been they've close been, and yeah, at least competitive, competitive everywhere. And that's a program six being, and five. being built by Andrew Baxter, you know, comes out of the Yale program. And I think he's got a lot of promise. And with that program, a lot of promise. And maybe this is the year to do it. Yeah. Um, what a fun conference. Who, I mean, who would you pick? Right now, if I'd look at a team, I mean, you've got to think of a team that's going to get in 
and win it. So it doesn't matter who's doing well right now. And I think you still sort of sidle towards UMass. But you like Drexel in the tournament as well, considering their recent past history. Drexel's hosting the tournament, too, right. by the so way. They, it's no matter what. Yeah, so I, I kind of sidle toward those as UMass feels like they're the team that can do it. And, and, be, and if they play their best game, they're going to win. That kind of feels like it for me. But Drexel has sort of that tournament mojo that we remember from last time around. See, I really like Towson. I think this Towson team, A, is as battle-tested as anybody in the country. They played a really tough non-conference they schedule, as, as you'd expect. Yeah. And I think what they did offensively in some of the transfers that they brought in uh, – has separated this Towson team from the team we saw last year. Because I think defensively, they're still pretty good. Like, you still have got Kobe Smith. Uh, you got some really big bodies uh, in the back there on defense. But then adding the pieces they did offensively. Which they needed to do. Which they needed to do big time. And then you've got some of the veteran leadership. Shane Brennan's like a sixth-year goalie in, in back. Like, they've got a lot of experience along with some additional firepower they've added to the transfer portal. I think that has become a difference maker. And we didn't see it quite in the non-conference because they were still trying to figure it out. They were playing a tough schedule. I think we're starting to see it here in conference play. And after missing the CAA tournament last year, I think that the mission for this Towson team is like, hey, we're not getting left out of the party no, again. Like no. this, this, That's not what Towson lacrosse is about. And I, I think they are on a mission this year. And they've kind of let everybody out, whether it's Delaware or UMass, Drexel get talked about a bunch at the beginning of the year. I, I think we're going to start talking about Towson more down and the stretch. They last won in, what, 2019, right? That's when they, yeah. they made their yeah, run. Yeah, they won in 2019. And, yep. and they came pretty close to the NCAAs after that. So I'm sure a lot in that group has moved on, but that there's a legacy there to be held. And I think that those memories aren't that far away, despite the fact that it feels like it was a few years ago. Yeah. So, it, yeah, they got conference a Conference is going to be... Fun. You get in, you got a shot, right? Just yeah. Be that fourth team. Doesn't matter if you're fourth or first. Oh, I mean, we saw it. We saw it last year. Delaware was the the team going yeah. into the tournament, and they lose in the semifinals to Hofstra. Yeah. You yeah. just never know. No, you you don't. That's a fun conference. Okay. Um, big game in the women's side of things. We previewed it with Tracy Weiner. Uh, Syracuse, North Carolina. It was a lot closer um, than I thought it would be. Of course, with um, we found out just uh, a little while before the game, Emma Tyrell out for the season for Syracuse. So she joins Emma Ward, unfortunately, on the sidelines there. I think, you know, Syracuse has a great next person up mentality that it will impact them, but not too adversely. I think the bigger person coming back to play was Megan Carney in all yeah. this. And she did play against North Carolina. And it just comes down to, to me, you know, the depth of the Tar Heels. And they had Jamie Ortega, five goals and assist. But Carolina had eight different goal scorers on <laughs> top of that. So yep. that just shows you, yeah, they can have Ortega dominate, but they're also going to hurt you from all sorts of different angles. It's just so difficult to be able to just grasp what their talent is. And Syracuse did a really good job of that. Tied at the half, you yep. know, and even with 3.09 to go, it was a one-goal game. They had so, an 8-7 lead in the third quarter, yeah, Syracuse did. Yeah, I, I, I was impressed by their effort, but I just, like I said earlier, I feel like that was Syracuse's best shot. Yeah, and... I mean, you mentioned it, and I, I wrote this down too. Jamie Ortega had the six points. Nobody else in North Carolina had more than three. Mm. And that was just one other player at three. Everybody else had like one or two, which shows you just the depth. Like how many teams in the country are going to win a game like that, 14-12, where you have one player that goes off and then just this depth of scoring. They had it from so many different options. And it's always the run. Like North Carolina, you just always know they're going to go on a run. And they did it in the third quarter. It was 8-7 Syracuse. North Carolina turns it on, scores the next four goals. Jamie Ortega scored two of them. And, like, while Syracuse made it close again, that was it. Like, when you go down four or five goals against North Carolina, I mean, even BC, like, as much firepower as they did, they just dug themselves in too big of a hole, and yeah. they, they ran out of time at the end. But that has seemed to be the recipe for North Carolina. They, they'll let – you may be able to hang around with them, but can you – like dominate and take over and go on a run of your own, and we just haven't seen. I mean, it. if think of Syracuse, won categories. They took more shots than North Carolina. They won the draw more than North Carolina. But the biggest one at the end of the day is saves. And Taylor Moreno had eight saves today. And Syracuse, unfortunately, they just don't have the experience back there on the back end to be able to compete with that. So you can beat Carolina. And we we saw you can beat them in some different categories and still end up losing. Yeah, which it, which makes it really tough to beat beat them to begin with. 
They're Unless really... you have Charlotte North, and then they can throw everything out, you know? Even they... if you have Charlotte North, it's hard to win. I know. It is. You know, but they had to, I mean, they almost, BC almost had a miracle in which they had two shorthanded goals in that game, so. We, we, <laughs> I, I, we, I had a chance to talk to Jenny Levy. We do talk about that here in a second. So, we, the BC game. Oh, all right. So, nice. Just, so, Talk about that. Do you want to listen to it now? Oh, yeah. I, I wasn't sure if you had no, another yeah. point. No, I'm okay. good. Yeah. yeah. I want to Jenny hear what Jenny had a chance to, to had a chance to catch up with the North Carolina coach. We talk uh, the Syracuse game, what this Tar Heels team has been all about, and, of course, that thriller against BC. That's right here. So we have North Carolina coach Jenny Levy joining us now. Coach, you guys are off to such an incredible start once again this year. When you look at this team in particular, what to you stands out? You've had so many talented teams. What stands out about this team in particular? Um, I, this team has great energy. Um, they, they have a tireless work ethic. Um, and I, I, we have a lot of veterans, but we also have a lot of young energy that we really love to have around and embrace. Um, Obviously, we're we're very talented, and I feel like this group is really unselfish. So we're really enjoying our journey with them. How have you learned to bring in some of these really talented transfers who are more veteran leaders because they've done that before, and then you mix it in with all the talented freshmen and sophomores you have? How have you found that blend together to create this team? Um, it just starts with conversations when the transfer portal hits and, you know, poking around for the right, the right student athletes. And, um, usually if someone's looking at Carolina, they, they, there's a reason that they're looking at Carolina. Um, you know, whether it's Andy or Sam, you know, obviously we played against Andy quite a bit, um, at her previous school and, um, we had never played against Sam, but you know, looking for players to want to be part of something that's not all about them, um, you know, be part of something bigger and try to try to see, you know, how their skill set and their focus and their love for the game, you know, fits in with us. So we take we take a lot of time on the front end just to make sure it's a good match for our team. You guys seem to be laser focused so far this year, and I wonder how much does the disappointment of the how last season ended help keep this team laser focused, knowing that everything that they still want to accomplish and you guys want to accomplish as a team obviously is still ahead of you. Yeah. I thought last year we had a great year and I think, you know, we didn't end up as, as the victors at the very end on the last day on the last game. And, you know, that's hard because that's our goal. Um, and we certainly, you know, had a great season, um, did great in ACC, captured another ACC title, um, which are all really hard things to do. And I think when you are competing at that level consistently, that gets mixed, missed, right? And even by our team, they get disappointed. You know, a lot of teams would take what we did last year and, and celebrate the full year that this was a success. And, and our guys, you know, they, they didn't feel that way. And it, it did sting. And credit to BC and the wonderful weekend that they had last, last year in May. Uh, but it has propelled this group a little bit more. So, you know, we're showing film on things that we can do better. And there's a little bit more attention to detail. Like, yeah, they're right. We need to take care of that better. Or, yeah, this truth hurts a little bit, but we'll get there. And then then obviously celebrating all the great things that are that is happening around us as well. So it's not all negative. It's a lot of positivity. It's a lot of um, great chemistry, great energy, um, a lot of laughing. Um, and a lot of laughing at ourselves too. Like, oh my God, it's ridiculous. Why do we do something like that? You know? So, you know, I think it's definitely a momentum for us um, and definitely something that we've used all year. What's that transition like as a coach too? Because you're right. Like you guys uh, win a couple of national championships and you start putting together these teams that are so talented and your expectations probably internally change too. Like how do you make sure yourself and the rest of the team is embracing all the different steps along the way, even after you as a program have had some of this success? I don't, you know, year to year, it doesn't really change. It, it changes because it's a new group of players and a new year. Uh, but how we approach each year is, is pretty similar as far as what our core values are and how we want to build each team. Um, obviously, it starts in the recruiting process and, and getting great student athletes. But it also, you know, every year we start with just building our team and our relationships and and, and working through all the little things that come up throughout the year. So 
I don't think it's, it has changed. I think maybe we've gotten a little bit better. We've gotten a little bit more detailed in how we work with our student athletes, but overall, I don't, I don't, it hasn't changed. Like, you know, I, a coach told me like the day after you win a national championship, you're not a better coach the next day, just a national championship. Maybe you've always been a really good coach. You know, maybe you always had really great student athletes. And it's just that team had that opportunity that year. No, it, it, it makes perfect sense. It just, everybody else maybe talks about it differently, but for, for you, you're still the same coach and the same person you, you were 24 hours prior. You've had obviously some really special players and Jamie Ortega continues to climb up the North Carolina and NCAA record books. What has she meant to this program over her time there? I mean, her freshman, I think back to her freshman year um, in 2018, where we had graduated 12, 12 seniors the year prior, um, probably like 10 starters. And we had Marie, Marie McCool as a senior and Jamie and Katie Hogue was only a sophomore and hadn't started. She just begun like her journey at Carolina and in comes Jamie and she was, you know, top recruit in the country and had a many, many options. And we were so excited to get her here. And right away, she impacts our, our program. We, we win, we beat Maryland that year in a, in a, in an overtime game in February where she's got the winning assist to Marie. And she just, you know, she came in prepared and her, she's become a better player here. She's become, um, you know, she's been able, she's well, her game has expanded, but she's still Jamie. She's humble. She's hardworking. She's a great teammate. She loves the game, um, puts a lot of time in on her own, but at the same time, she's, she's a, she's a killer out there. And her, her mentality has always been the same. And after five years of coaching her, we will hundred percent miss her and the rest of her class next year. But um, she's been awesome. You know, she's just a joy to have on the team, a joy to coach. And um, I'm just so proud of everything she's done, really. I still think that uh, as much as many accolades as all your the, the players in your team get, it's the defensive side of the ball that maybe isn't quite as appreciated with your team by people when you, you see all the different scoring and the stats. It, how important has that end of the field been for you guys throughout this run the last couple of years, knowing that you have one of the best goalies in the country, some of the best defensemen, and the ability to get stops against some of the best offenses of the country on a consistent basis? Yeah, I mean, our defensive coordinator, Phil Barnes, does such a good job with, you know, our defense and our goalies. Um, and it's it's not just been in the past five years. We've we've always had a great defense. And uh, starting with um, in 2009 was our first championship game appearance. Um, Logan Ripley was in the cage for that group. Um, it wasn't a great result that game. It was a very painful result against Northwestern that year. But, um, you know, that that was over, you know, 10, 12 years ago, 2009. Um, and that, th that journey really started prior to that as well. So, you know, the defensive side of the ball for us has been a staple in our program and gives us year in, year out an opportunity to compete. Um, and it's something that we, we take a lot of pride in and our, and our group is always interesting and fun and our goalies are always very good. So I wonder, what was the teaching moment after Boston College made that run toward the end of that game? It was so exciting for everybody else, but for you guys, there has to be a moment where you go, okay, we want to make sure that doesn't happen again. Well, we're lucky that we won that. We, we found, I don't, I think if you, you know, look in the, the lacrosse dictionary of how many ways you can turn over a ball, I think we covered all of those bases. Um, you know, some of it was just, incredibly self-inflicted whether it's like going off sides throwing the ball away man up I mean you can't make this stuff up right like I'm on the sidelines I'm thinking what is going on like we have never had a fourth quarter um literally and figuratively like this but um you know we're lucky to get out of that game with a one goal lead I didn't think it we had to be in that situation at all um we had to you know, we really had to do a better job of closing out the game. And, it, and I, I don't even know how many goals we were ahead, at least three or four. And it, it didn't need to be that adventure. You know, credit BC, they're a great team. Of course, they're going to make a run. If you keep giving them the ball back, you know, good teams are going to make runs. So I don't, it was, it was lucky to be in that situation. Um, you know, and, and during it, I was like, well, win or lose, we'll definitely be able to, to take this, this, um, 
this experience and get better from it. And so, you know, we did win the game, but we were able to look at it and say, you guys. And so we've been working on it and hopefully we won't be in that situation again. And then I thought um, this weekend against Syracuse, you know, they're again, another great team in the ACC, really well coached team in the ACC where we get into a tight game at the end. It had been tight all, all through and, and we did a great job of finishing out the game. So I was really happy about that. That BC game, especially in the Syracuse game, too, with I think one of the biggest crowds in the carry dome for a Syracuse women's game. The atmospheres around those games, they felt bigger than just a normal regular season game. And I, I know you as somebody, especially with Team USA as well, trying to grow the, the sport, especially on the women's side. What was it like to have been a part of these games in just the regular season? Atmospheres that I think in a lot of ways in both men's and women's lacrosse are safe for men. Yeah, I, I'm so excited um, to see the fan support in these regular season games. It's incredible. Uh, yeah, we had a, a big crowd in the carrier dome this weekend. It was very loud in there, um, which is a, you know, it's a tough place to play. Um, another great experience for our team. Um, we were really fortunate. We had our whole team with us this weekend and got to experience what the carrier dome is like to play in, which isn't easy if you don't play in there a lot. Um, but the, the crowds, you know, what's exciting for me is um, to see all these little girls with their faces painted, with their favorite, you know, they can get jerseys now, their favorite players. They've got their sticks. You know, some of them show up with their mouth guards and their goggles on. And, you know, that's if you have the opportunity as a college program to capture the the imagination of these young girls that that have idols, you know, that's where it all starts. And the flywheel of that excitement will really drive a lot of success for our sport. And um, and we're, we're experiencing that at the college level and at the national team level, which is really something that we've been working hard on in the past five years. And I'm not the only coach who works on it. You know, the ACC coaches are all great and in that. And um, I don't know. It's an exciting time for women's across. I just had somebody um, text me this morning, said he was out at the USC Stanford game on the West coast and it was packed with little kids, with little girls, like coming to see that game. So, you know, I think the more we can fill stands at all of these games, the better for our sport. Jenny, we appreciate the time. Uh, good luck. We're here with UNC and we can't wait to see you with team USA later on this summer. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. So Livy Rosenzweig joins us now, the all-time points leader in Patriot League history. Congratulations, Livy. Appreciate you, you coming on today. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. So what's it mean? I mean, that's a big, obviously, individual accomplishment. Your team's playing well, too. How fun has this season been for you guys? Yeah, I think that it's been so exciting this season, especially after, you know, our season ending with COVID and then having a season last year that luckily we were able to play, but it just felt really different. Um, so I'm so grateful that I was able to come back for an extra year and just have this time with my teammates. And, and it's just an added bonus that we're, we're having a really good season and having a lot of fun. Well, we mentioned the, the Patriot League points record and, I mean, the point numbers of points that you've put up in Loyola. You've accomplished so much during your career. Why, why come back for this extra year? What was it that drew you back? Um, I honestly, it was really a no-brainer for me to um, come back and, and play for Jen, Dana and Hager again. And luckily, um, a big amount of my class came back as well. So that was also an added bonus to be able to spend more time with my best friends. Um, but yeah, I just felt like I wanted to end my career on my terms and be able to finish the way I wanted to and just really get a season that felt good um, under my belt and just be able to go out with a bang. You know, most times when you get into college, they say, oh, it flies by. I mean, you've been on campus since 2018. Does it feel like you've been there forever or has it flown by? Um, I think a little bit of both. I mean, sometimes when I think about freshman year, I'm like, oh my God, that seems so long ago. And then some other times I'm like, that could have been yesterday and it would have felt normal. So I think that it's a combination of both. But I mean, as I'm getting closer to graduation, it feels like it, it went really fast. You mentioned some of your coaches and Jen Adams and Dana Dobie are not only great coaches, but maybe two of the better players we've ever seen do it in the women's game. What's it like to play for them? 
Um, it's incredible. I mean, they were a big selling point as to why I even wanted to come to Loyola in the first place. Um, and it's just so fun being able to be at practice and then demonstrate for us what we're supposed to be doing and, and in stick work jumping in. And, and you know, I unfortunately have had to miss practice um, a few times this season because of my um, master's program. And Dana and I do individuals every Tuesday, Thursday to make up for that. And she plays with me. And so it's a lot of fun being able to have somebody where I can, you know, we can feed off each other's energy and it's not just me playing. So, I mean, I'm so lucky that, that they're my coaches and it's amazing. Do you ever do, do they ever do anything that like blows your mind? Like <laughs> that you just like, go, oh, how does that, how do you even accomplish that and try to learn it yourself? Yeah. I mean, I think my, one of my favorite times was when, um, we were playing um, a lefty goalkeeper. I think this was my freshman or sophomore year. And um, both of our goalies are righties. So Dana suited up and got in the cage as a lefty and played goalie for us for a scout. And so like just so those things, like they're willing to do anything for us. And it's just amazing that they're they're so athletic and capable of still playing. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it's almost like, is there anything they can't do <laughs> like with a lacrosse stick? I I. I mean, with Dana, I think I've seen her do in the international game things with one hand that a lot of players can't do with two. Like, mm. how, how incredible is it to watch her do some of the stuff that she does, whether it's at the draw circle or around the crease? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, she has some of the best handles I've ever seen in my life. And, and when she's out there, you know, even warming up the goalies, I'm like, my God, nice, nice shot, Tina. <laughs> and, um, you know, sometimes when after I, I take a shot or something, she's like, okay, well, next time just do a between the legs on that one. And I'm like... I don't think I can, <laughs> um, but yeah, she's awesome and she's she's so good and her handles are amazing. What makes this group so dynamic? I'm sure you have a sense of what some of the other teams that are you know in the top ten, like yourselves, look like around the country. What makes this group so different, uh, maybe compared to those even? I think that it's really the difference maker for us this year has been everyone on the field is a threat to score. Um, so it's not just like our four attackers, it's our three middies also. And then our bench also can come in and score. So I think that it's hard for defense to try and scout us because we have so many threats. And I think that that's something that's been so important with us this year that our, our points are so even and there's assisted goals, non-assisted goals, like everyone can do something on the field and get the ball in the back of the net. What did you guys learn from the game up at the Carrier Dome against Syracuse? Obviously a heartbreaking loss, but I felt like it also was an opportunity for you to show to everybody else that, you know, we belong in the top 10 where we've been ranked throughout the year. Yeah, I think just that it also proved to ourselves that we're able to play with anyone and we deserve to be in the top 10. Um, I think it also shows that we have to play a full 60 minutes of lacrosse. Um, there is a quarter and a half or two quarters that we kind of let slip and let them get a gap that shouldn't have happened. Um, so I think it just proves to us that we have to play the full 60 minutes and then not put ourselves in a position to, you know, be down and have to scramble for a goal to try to tie it up. Hmm. You're a uh, master's in psychology. Is that is that right? That what you mentioned? Yes. Yeah, I'm um, in a program called Clinical Professional Counseling, so it's to be a therapist. What was the what got you into that? What struck you about that discipline that, that struck your interest? I'm curious. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do coming into college. Um, and Loyola has a heavy core, um, like gen ed classes that you have to take. And um, you know, in a lot of ways that was kind of annoying for me because I didn't enjoy a lot of them, but one of them was I had to take, um, a science class and psych counted as a social science. So I was able to take psych 101 as a requirement. And, um, I just really enjoyed learning about the brain and how it works. And once I was done with that psych 101 class, I was able to take a lot of different type of psychology classes, like forensic psychology, counseling, um, psych of gender, just a lot of different types of courses. And I just thought that it was really interesting because everything has to do with your brain, everything that you do. And um, I'm just really interested in mental health, you know, like having my own mental health journey throughout college. And, and when I was younger, it just makes it really attractive for me to, to learn about that kind of stuff and then hopefully help people that also had meant to have mental health issues. Yeah, it's that's really cool. And I feel like something, especially when we see athletes all over, it's something that you can really probably apply to the field too. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, I would have to get a sports psychology degree to work with like, you know, as a sports psychologist. But when I, if I'm seeing patients, you know, it doesn't mean that I can't help them with their sport sports and, and how to, you know, be better mentally on the field. Or even teammates, right? Like when you're talking to them, especially now as a graduate student, you probably have a lot of those younger athletes coming on up that you can sort of feel like what they're what they're going through too, right? Yeah, yeah, it's great to be able to talk with the younger girls about that kind of stuff. Do, do you have a 
favorite goal, not only at Loyola, but of your career? Like, is there like one that stands out amongst the rest? Um, I know I'm putting you on the spot. I apologize. There's just so many I mean, to choose from. So many. <laughs> well, I had my first BTB goal this season ever in my career, which was, I don't know why, but behind the backs have just been like so hard for me. And so I was working a lot with Dana in our individuals on scoring behind the back, because when I'm coming around the crease and they're playing me so heavily on my top hand, it should be, you know, something that I have in my in my tool belt. So being able to, you know, take that from practice that I've been working really hard on and apply it to the game, like makes it really special for me. Yeah. And that's the thing too. Cause I, I mean, I remember doing it as an athlete, you can do something a thousand times in practice, but it just doesn't feel quite right until you do it in a game. And then it like, just gives you this confidence that like, Oh, never mind, I got this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely made me, you know, happy to know that I worked hard in practice and it finally applied to the game and I had tried it a game before and it, and it went high or something like that. So I was, I was trying to get there, which I was happy that I could. Well, I'm sure many people have asked you about Gabby over the years, your, your sister and the great career she had as well. was like at one point, either one of you was, was unbelievable. I want to ask you about your dad because I wore this for a reason. <laughs> I was we looking were, at that. We were both cornerbacks at Ithaca <laughs> College. Different times. He played for Jim Butterfield. I played for Jim Butterfield's protege, Mike Welch, back in the day. I could go on and on and on. But what <laughs> impact has your family had on you is what I'm getting at in terms of your career. Just wanted to get some bomber pride out there because we both played the same position in the same spot. Right. It's incredible. Uh, crazy. So I wear this. Yeah. But yeah, well, um, your, your family on your, your life and your career now as you finish things up the last couple of weeks in college. Yeah, I think that my family has such an impact on me. You know, I talk to them every day and I'm lucky because um, now that Gabby, I mean, unfortunately graduated and doesn't play lacrosse anymore. Both my parents can be at all my games now, whereas in um, throughout my career, I've, they've had to split up usually unless special circumstances. Um, but yeah, my dad was my coach growing up in youth until I got to high school. Um, so he has had such a big impact on me throughout my career and is just such a great supporter. And and yeah, he had a great career at Ithaca playing football and lacrosse. So. Yeah, played lacrosse too. I meant to mention that. I, I got yeah. really excited about the football thing. And I was like, oh, he was a cornerback just like me. What a connection. So exciting. Go Bob. Yeah. Have you been up to Ithaca? Before. Um, I think I have when I was younger, but not in a long time. Yeah, me too. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> you were there probably more recently yeah. than Libby. I, I got to ask, because like the first time you, you talk to your head coach, Jed Adams, and the accent just like jumps right out at you. <laughs> Is there anybody in the locker room that can do our Australian accent really well? Well, our freshman, Georgia Latch, is from Australia, so I'd say that she can do it really well. Mm, yeah, nailed um, it, yeah. But someone who's not Australian. Um, because you guys try, right? Like there has to be imitations going on. Yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some words that we always, you know, even like if we're in a huddle and she says something differently than us, Dana will will also make a comment, which is funny. But yeah. um, I think um, Daryl Koss is pretty good at the Australian accent. Okay. But yeah, right. we, we imitate her sometimes. Of course. <laughs> what, what a great vibe inside that locker room. You guys <laughs> yeah. have been playing great this year. Um, good luck on the way through Patriot League here as you sort of finish things out these last couple of weeks and can't wait to see what you guys can do, you know, in postseason tournaments too. So, Livia, we appreciate your time. Uh, thank you so much and good luck uh, in your next game this weekend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Always great talking to Livy, and obviously her sister was so good for so long too. Yeah. And what a fam what a legacy they've left on the lacrosse world over the last five, six years. What and you got to been. talk bombers. I got to talk bombers, and that was really Go cool. I was doing my research. I'm like, oh man, he played for Jim Butterfield. He came right in before the the Coach Long era for lacrosse for Ithaca, and yeah, um, a lot of uh, legacy there. So pretty cool to see a you know fellow bomber, and he's obviously a very athletic. Family at yeah, that. For sure. His wife played basketball at Fordham, her, their mother as well. So um, a lot of talent in that family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, uh, I'm going to take a second to do something personal here because uh, as we were talking about um, earlier this week, uh, in less than a week, or actually last week, in less than a week, my wife Caroline and I uh, are going to be running the Boston Marathon for Teddy's team. It's a foundation that was started by the former New England Patriot, Teddy Bruschi. It raises money for stroke research and awareness. Uh, on top of winning three Super Bowls, you may or may not know that Teddy is also a two-time stroke survivor. So that's a cause that's extremely close to us because about two and a half years ago, 
just three weeks after Caroline and I were mar married, Caroline had a stroke. She was only 27. We were standing in our kitchen, taking, just talking, and she was telling me a story, and all of a sudden, the left side of her face dropped. Her legs went numb, and I carried her to our bed. All of her symptoms were the telltale signs that she was having a stroke, but I never thought my extremely healthy wife could be having one. Just didn't register. Luckily, I called 911 anyway. We spent a week that felt like a month in the hospital, and I've never felt so helpless. All I wanted to do was help Caroline feel better, but there was nothing I could do other than just stay with her and wait. We left that hospital without answers to what caused her stroke, and while her body has made an incredible recovery, there's still the fear that it could happen again. While we've gotten some answers, there's still some unknown. There are some times that she speaks out of one side of her mouth, and I panic for a second. Do I need to call an ambulance? Two plus years later, we're both still scared something might happen again. But we now know we're not alone. We felt that way at first. We knew barely any other young couples that had gone through this. But as Caroline made public what she was going through, we learned we weren't alone. It had happened to a lot of other young people, especially young women. Through some of those other survivors is how we found Teddy's team. And we're running because of all they, their stories. We're running because we physically can, and we know others haven't been that lucky. My wife is one of the strongest people I know. To be running a marathon two and a half years after suffering a stroke is incredible. But it shows just the type of person she is. I knew it before. And I'm really lucky to be by her side in this journey. And I can't wait to cross the finish line with her on Marathon Monday right here in Boston. I'm sharing this so you know the signs and symptoms of a stroke. And know that it could happen to just about anybody at any age. And the other reason I'm sharing is to ask that if you're able to, you'd support our team. We've links to our fundraising pages on our social media accounts, and we're currently auctioning off a custom Cascade lacrosse helmet with Teddy's team decals that's signed by Teddy Bruski himself. So if you can support us in any way, we'd greatly appreciate it. But more importantly than anything else, know that if something like this happens to you or to a loved one, you're not alone. Yeah, and to see, you know, what you guys went through back then, you know, I remember working alongside you then, and, you know, you being with her and sort of, having to jump in the moment and her then coming out of it and being able to do what she's done the last couple of years. So amazing in that. And like you said, there's, you don't really hear about it and, and young people that often. And yeah. the more that I've gotten older, I've heard about it, you know, these different cases. And it is a, it's a, it's a very scary thing that can happen to anybody. And, and I think that, yeah. like you said, some of those signs and the ways that you can help people and figure out exactly what happens and why this happens, all that stuff is so important. So I definitely encourage everybody to, to help out in any way you can. Yeah. Uh, my wife is way stronger than I have ever and will ever be. She is an incredible person, and so um, I'm just thankful that I'm with her along for the ride, and I cannot wait to, to run this race with her. And the helmet's really cool, too. The helmet so, is so, very cool. <laughs> if you haven't seen the helmet on Travis's social media, go check it out and, and put your stuff in to go out and see what you can do with it. Yeah, and, awesome. a, and a huge shout-out to uh, Cascade Lacrosse and to Pro Athletics. Uh, Jerry Raganese with, uh, with Pro Athletics and Cascade, both the, them have been terrific in helping us create this helmet. Uh, something we I thought of when we first found out we were going to be running the marathon for Teddy's team, and they have been awesome. And it's signed by Teddy Bruski. So um, they just uh, incredible support from the lacrosse community. So thank you. Yeah, and of course, what he went through too, you know, and in terms of him being a big, strong athlete and yeah. having to deal with this. And I've and he's done a lot for just on the individual basis, things like this, and you know, sending videos to young people that have to go through this or a surgery. I've, I've witnessed that and heard about that all the time. So. Cool for him to be an advocate for that and then see that kind of trickle down and everybody else being like, okay, like we're, we're on a team here, you know, and that's what it's all about. It's, um, it, it's really a full circle situation because when Caroline first had her stroke, we were at Norwood Hospital, which is not far from Foxborough, and uh, the doctor came in and was talking to us about the diagnosis. And one of the, the first people he referenced was, hey, you know, Teddy Bruschi had a stroke and he came back and he won a Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And that gave me a little bit of calm and a Really, really tough day. So um, I mean, full circle that now we're running for his organization and we've raised a bunch of money. And that doctor would go and say, well, uh, I know this, this young woman named Caroline had yeah. a stroke and she ran a marathon. 
Exactly. So I don't know which one of those is harder, but <laughs> I'm not going to put anyone down here, but there's quite the competition if you want to have one. That's, That's pretty true. impressive. It's very impressive. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, so cool. Glad you're doing this, Travis. Thank you. Um, it's, uh, Monday, Marathon Monday, of yeah, course, is the big uh, run. Yeah, so just under a week. Just under a week. You guys are both ready to go. Got your training taper season. Yeah, feeling good. Yeah. It's a lot of a lot less running in the last couple of weeks yeah. <laughs> the training than we did one, for most of the time. One more big one, and then, yeah. then you just can be good for a little while. Chill out for a little while. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Well, good job. Uh, Thank good you. stuff. And we'll be back here on Thursday as well, wrapping everything up from the midweek moments yes. to, to, and looking forward to another big weekend as well. So that'll do it for Lacrosse Now. We will see you later this week. See ya.